Well, all right, we are um, we're continuing on in our study of the knowledge of God, and we've come to the portion of uh, our study that uncovers creation, uh, and it's a this is one particular area of study that can cause a lot of debate. Not, not can cause, has caused a lot of debate. There is tons of debate around creation. Now, it do, it's not as simple as a Christian debating an atheist. It's not that simple. Even inside the church, there is tons of debate in regards to how do we read Genesis 1 and 2. And even inside the camp, like probably is everybody in this room that would say, we read Genesis as a literal account. Genesis 1, well, everything, but Genesis, particularly Genesis 1 and 2, we read those as a literal account. Even inside that camp, there's still a debate on how we interpret these words literally that are in front of us. So it's not as simple as we might like it to be. Last week, we started this topic of creation, and we, up at the top of the page, you have it on this week's outline, and and if you didn't get an outline, by the way, they are back there on that desk, and there's some on this stand. How many are back there? Are there a good number back there still? Okay, there's there's none up here? My goodness, am I going to have to start printing off more? Uh, Maybe so, that's a good problem to have, right? Yeah, all right. Uh, Okay. So, yeah, just grab one, grab an outline if, if there's some there. If not, share one, sorry. We can, we can copy them off later if you just fill in the blanks. Um, so, last week, what we talked about, up at the top of the, out, uh, of the outline on both, both uh, outlines for last week and for this week, there's this quote that says, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. And really what we're trying to discern as Christians is what are the things that are essential? What are the essentials? So that we can have unity on those essentials. We have to to know what they are, right? And then how do we know where there's the ability to have some diversity or some, some liberty in views? And does it just mean that when we say in non essentials liberty, does that just mean whatever you want to believe, like every idea is a good one. Like, does, is that what it means? Or does it mean something else? I hope, I certainly hope it doesn't mean just you can believe whatever you want to believe. That's, I don't think, right. And so our endeavor as we go through creation, uh, the creation account is really to, to lay out before us what are the essentials, what are the things that we must agree on as a group where are the things that are non-essentials and how much liberty can we have in those non-essentials? And then as we proceed forth, when we do decide to have a discussion with somebody or even a debate, whether this person is an atheist or whether this person is, you know, an old earth uh, Christian, and I don't mean they're old, I mean that they're, they believe in the old earth, how do we, and, and we happen to be maybe young earth, how do we have a debate in love? How do we have a debate in charity? How do we be passionate about our side and present our facts, present our case, and really seek to persuade 
and yet be able to listen to them from their perspective, point of view, and walk away understanding that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. How do we do that? That's easier said than done. We, last week, we covered, uh, for the most part, the things where we should be unified on. And I think at the end, we kind of got to an established, unified position. The things that I said was the biblical account definitely promotes the idea that God created everything out of nothing. Ex nihilo is what what we we said about that. Everything out of nothing. We cited a number of, uh, of scriptures, but he created the world out of nothing. We also said that he created Adam from the dirt and created woman from man. Everybody is unified on that inside the, the church. And that's not without its debates, for sure. But as far as in the church, that's a unified position. Creation was a Trinitarian effort. Again, a unified position. Creation is distinct from God, yet always dependent on God. And all of these begins to separate Christianity away from things that are distinctively non-Christian. So uh, creation being distinct from God, yet always dependent on God. There's lots of Eastern religions and lots of current um, uh, kind of hippie movement religions (laughs) that are even still going on to this day that want to combine those two, God and the created order. And Christianity clearly separates those. We're unified in that regard. That the whole of creation is built to the worship of God. We talked about that a little bit on Sunday and that's certainly true um, of, of the biblical account as well. And that the universe was, that God created was very good. All, all of these, what's significant I think about all of these in part one, is that in some way or another, they make their way into confessions of the Christian church. And so we see, for instance, that creation was good. And in a lot of the confessions of the Christian church, we have definitely the affirmation that it fell. Something happened to it, right? Um, so creation was good and, 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 and really at its heart is good, but, but it has fallen into sin and despair. But the created, the, the created order is, is good as God has created it. Um, and so a lot of these things that we, we, we saw in what we're unified in, they make their way into the creeds that Christians have affirmed for the last 2,000 years. And so now, this week, we move into some things that, where there's a little bit of disagreement. Not a little bit, a lot of disagreement. And here's how I aim to approach these topics in the coming weeks. Next week is business meeting, okay? So we'll block that one out. But this week, what I, what I want to do is talk about Old Earth creationism. And then after the week after business meeting, which I think is still in May, is that right? That's right. Um, we're, we're going to do Young Earth creationism. There's a, still a, a set of different viewpoints on Young Earth creationism. And then the following week, I think I will still be in town for that, that week. I, I have to look at my schedule, but I think that's a week I'm still in town. That week we'll begin going through Genesis 1 and 2. And so what we're doing now is really more of a survey and looking at what people have said about the Genesis 1 and 2 account. So most of the scriptures that we're talking about happen in Genesis 1 and 2. So you're not going to see a tons of scriptures on any of these until we actually get to opening up Genesis 1 and 2 and looking at how different viewpoints would explain 
with the text that's in front of them what's happening here in Genesis 1 and 2. I'm going to do my absolute best to present viewpoints that I don't agree with <laughs> so that you can hear the way that they sound um, as, best, as best I possibly can. Um, that's the overall scope of what we're trying to do, trying to hear these, these viewpoints and really for us trying to establish, how do I know when I'm sitting next to somebody if that viewpoint is inherently contradictory to the Christian testimony of creation or the, the world around me? And how do I know if it's, if, if it's acceptable, even if I don't agree with it? Does that make sense? Any questions about that approach or process? Okay. So we're going to go through this, and we're going to look at a few things as we go down. And I've got that what you've got in front of you is fill in the blank so that you have to pay attention to me. Uh, it, <laughs> you put blanks in front of people, and they're like, well, we have to fill these out. I, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> Yes, you do. Um, so uh, the first thing off, what, what I really want to do is look at what's the relationship between Scripture and science? I think what we're most concerned about, or what we should be really concerned about as Christians, is really discovering what is true, what is right. If it's true, that's what I want to believe. I want to believe what is true. I don't want to believe what is false. And so I, I thought this was pretty helpful. I, I saw this in, uh, in Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology that he had cited, uh, Francis, a book by Francis Schaeffer. I tried to buy this book, and it's out of print, and it's ridiculously expensive if you want to buy it, so I didn't. But... Um, in this book, Francis Schaeffer lays out seven things that he says in amidst the disagreement between old earth and young earth, here are the things that are possible in the biblical text. That either the biblical text is silent on and doesn't make a comment one way or the other, or how we understand a verse may be different. And that it would be permissible, that it's, I guess, it, it lacks the kind of clarity as far as our understanding goes. We don't, we can't understand it exactly, maybe as the way it's, uh, the way God in, had intended it to. So the first thing he says here is that there is a possibility that God created a grown up universe. This would be one of those, uh, God, there's a possibility that God created a grown up universe. This sort of speaks to, one of the young earth arguments that we'll get to in a couple weeks, which is that God created everything, but when he created it, he didn't create saplings for trees. He created grown, full adult trees. But if you had, the day after he had created, created them, if you had chopped one down, you might see a hundred rings there, that it looked as though it was a hundred years old, but it was, in fact, one day old, Right that he could have created a, 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 an adult, a grown-up universe. A, a rabbit hops by, and the rabbit looks as though that, that rabbit's a year old. You know, it's not a little baby rabbit, uh, but in fact, it came to be yesterday. So it, it's kind of that w one of the young earth points of view is that it's possible God had just created a, a grown-up universe. All right, so we're going to talk more about that in a couple weeks, but that's one of the things he says that's possible in the, in the biblical account. Um, there is a possibility of a break between Genesis 1 and 2. So, sorry, sorry, let me back up. That's not, that's not the way I have it. There is a possibility of a break between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2. So verse 1 and verse 2 of chapter 1. There's a possibility of a break there or between 1, 2 and 1, 3. 
So there is a possibility that there is a length of time there. So we have Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. There's a possibility that it just sat there. (laughs) The biblical account is virtually silent on that. If there was umpteen billion years there, then it certainly doesn't say there was. It certainly doesn't say there wasn't, but there's nothing in the text that would say that that couldn't have happened, right? Does that make sense? There is a possibility of a break between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, right? The first two verses. Or between 1-2 and 1-3. There's a possibility. Go ahead. Okay, you're right. Right. Yes. That's possible. I'm quoting him, by the way, but I'm going to say, since he's dead, he can't rebut. I'm going to say, yeah, sure. <laughs> That's what he meant. Because <laughs> that makes sense to me. Uh, yes. The third, there is a possibility of a long day in Genesis 1. There is a possibility of a long day in Genesis 1. And we'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute. There's a possibility that the word day there, you know, the first day, second day, you've, most of you have probably heard these arguments before. First day, second day, third day, that the word day imp- could imply a, a really long time. And so he, he's saying, technically, there's nothing about the word day that would mean that it has to be a 24-hour period, and we do have evidence of that in Scripture. Um, the fourth here, it, it, watch me on my numbers and make sure I don't get out of order here, but there is a possibility that the flood affected the geological data. There's a possibility that the flood affected the geological data. That's one of the young earth positions is that, you know, the fossils that are on the ground were buried under, you know, however many miles of, of water, and so that that could have skewed the numbers that people are receiving whenever they do testing on these fossils. It's certainly possible. There's nothing in the biblical text that would contradict that or, or even really affirm that at all. It just, well, it just is. And that's what we found as we dig up the dirt. Uh, the use of the word kinds in Genesis 1 may be quite broad. The use of the word kinds in Genesis 1 may be quite broad. Now, it's a little bit technical. We may not really touch too much on this, but th- there's some that would argue that what God created when he brings forth the species, he says, each according to its kind. And some people make the argument that kind there equals each according to its species. And so what they say is, because in a species, a species can't reproduce with another species. That's kind of the definition of a species. And so... The, some on the young earth side would say he, he, he created everything according to its, its species. It was just, it was there. There was the gorillas, there was the chimpanzees, there was the whatever. And others would say that he potentially created a tiger and then it replicated and has changed inside the genetic code. It can change into various kinds of cats over the years. Right? Does that make sense? Um, so it's two different ways. And he says, look, in the, in the Genesis account, kinds doesn't necessarily equal species. So it could be, it could be broad. Um, 
there is a possibility on the next one, there is a possibility of the death of animals before the fall. We're going to talk a little bit about this in a, in a minute. There is a possibility of the death of animals before the fall. And I'll explain more why later, but there, there definitely is indication that man has not died before the fall. But at least if you take the verse as it's written, there's no indication or it doesn't necessarily negate that an animal couldn't have died. And then the other question is, so if a fruit on a plant is, is living, is growing, and you pluck it off the, pl- off the tree, then it technically kind of died right there, didn't it? <laughs> so, so they would say, well, that's sort of a death in and of itself, right? So that's, that's kind of the argument. But he says there's a possibility that of the death of animals before the fall. The text doesn't negate it, and nor does it really even affirm it at all. Uh, where the Hebrew word... Bara uh, is, that's what the little text there says, is not used. There is the possibility of sequence from previously existing things. So this one's a, a bit technical, but it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that word created is bara in the Hebrew. And that really means out of nothing. That, that's where we kind of get ex nihilo. Is there's, when that word is used, it typically means out of nothing. And he says, um, where the Hebrew word bara is not used, sometimes you have their created, sometimes you have their made. And he says that can indicate, that could be a little bit more broad than just created out of nothing. It could mean out of nothing, or it could mean he created it from something else. He m- made it... Uh, from something else. So Barah was not used in every... Not in every case, no. Uh, and I'd have to go look back, to be honest with you, I say that off the top of my head, it, uh, it, I'm not sure if in all the translations it just says made when it, when it is not Barah and that it only uses created when it is Barah. I'm not sure of that right now, but um, nevertheless, if you were to see the Hebrew come up, then... Anytime bara is not used, there's a possibility that it is from previously existing things. That's well within the scope of meaning of any of the words that would be used for made. Yeah. All right. Any questions about those? Questions, questions that I can answer? <laughs> when all? Oh, thank you. Uh, when all the facts? Uh, and actually, this is one of my favorite little quotes. I like this. I think this is a good way of thinking about things. When all the facts are rightly understood, there will be no final conflict between Scripture and natural science. When all the facts are rightly understood, there will be no final conflict between Scripture and natural science. So if... God just came down and just took the black cloth on all the things we don't know and just took it, took it away where nobody could disagree with what is now revealed. We would see no contradiction, no final conflict between what's revealed to us in Scripture and what is true of the created order. It's basically the, the point there. Good. Thank you for that. And whose quote is it? Um, that... I, I think that is, I'm not sure if that's a direct quote from Francis Schaeffer, but it's definitely in Wayne Grudem's 
citation of Francis Schaeffer. Um, he, Francis Schaeffer, you'll see the citation down there at the bottom of this list, wrote a book called No Final Conflict, where that comes from, basically is his um, point of view on that. Any questions on that? Okay, second thing here is some theories about creation seem clearly inconsistent with the teachings of Scripture. Some theories about creation seem clearly inconsistent with the teachings of Scripture. And that's one thing I forgot to say earlier is um, before we dive into Genesis 1 and 2, I do want to spend a week to just go, here's all the things that are absolutely out of bounds as far as Christians go of ways of looking at creation. Um, So we'll talk more about evolution and things like that as we get there. Um, But some theories about creation seem clearly inconsistent with the teachings of Scripture. Throughout the history, this is number three, throughout the history of the church, there has never been complete consensus on the age of the earth. Throughout the history of the church, there has never been complete consensus on the age of the earth, nor on the nature of the biblical account in Genesis 1 to 3, and the age of the earth has never made it into the church's creed. Has never made it into the church's creed. Now, what does that tell us? First of all, what does that mean? That the age of the earth has never made it into the church's creed. Yeah. Right? I mean, that would define non-essential, right? Is that over the history of the church, as we look at the creeds that have come up to say, hey, if you don't believe this, you're not a Christian. The age of the earth never has made it in, ever, period. So that is a really good barometer for us <laughs> to kind of say, what are the things that when somebody's sitting in my office, if they're to tell me, hey, I, uh, I'm kind of an old earth creationist, or hey, I'm kind of a young earth creationist, do I say that that makes a difference in you being a Christian? No. Um, when we look at The way I like to think about biblical theology and understanding what is biblical theology and what is unbiblical, unsound theology, when you look across the scope of history, you see what the people have done is sort of set a fence around the yard. And they've sort of said, you can play anywhere inside the yard. Don't go outside the yard at all. And the, the, the fence post, especially in regards to creation, um, is what we talked about in week one. To believe something other than God created everything out of nothing uh, would call into question whether or not you're, we're believing in the same God. Um, you know, to, to, to call into question the creation of man and the, made in the image of God, now we're talking about a totally different origin of mankind and a, and a, and a different view of who mankind really is. And so these are the things that form our scope, and and history gives us a lot of that perspective that we can kind of take into uh, the current current world. All right. Number four, science cannot overturn clearly revealed biblical truth. Science cannot overturn Clearly revealed biblical truth. However, historical interpretation of Scripture, historical interpretation of Scripture should weigh heavily into what is considered clearly revealed. 
Let's think about that for just a second. Science can't overturn clearly revealed uh, biblical truth. Science has just confirmed that Jesus did not, in fact, rise bodily from the dead. Family feud X, all right? You, get a, you only get two more of those, and the other team gets the points, all right? Like, obviously, science cannot overturn that. History has determined, even over the last 2,000 years, this is firmly established to be clearly revealed in Scripture. Science cannot in any way overturn that. Uh, but history should get a strong say into what is considered clearly revealed. So when we look back over the scope of, of history and we see varying people, even as early back as Justin Martyr in 130 or so, having a very different opinion even than we do today on the creation of the world, and we see that repeated in several centuries on following, we can surmise that there was not agreement even back before scientific evidence of anything came into play, right? Okay, which we're going to talk about a little bit in a minute. Anybody have a question on those four? Did everybody get the blanks as, as I read them? Okay, good. So far, we're good. Okay. Uh, I took the rocks out of here, made sure all the rocks are out of here. If I see anybody with a chisel going up against the wall, uh, don't shoot the messenger, okay? Um, let me make sure. Okay, go back. Uh, number one here, under the old earth argument. So let's move into what, what is the, at least a biblical position of an old earth argument? What would that look like? Now, let me be clear of what, what I'm doing, what I'm not doing. Two things. First, I am not presenting to you my view, all right? I am presenting to you a view, an old earth view, and I'm also not trying to persuade you into taking a view. Especially if I'm not presenting my view, I'm certainly not persuading you to take a view that I don't necessarily hold, right? So that's not what we're doing. What we are doing is really trying to say, if you were going to be old earth, what were the things that you would definitely need to say about your position? And what do old earth creationists typically say about their position? Inside the old earth argument, there are probably about a hundred different readings of Genesis 1 and 2. And that's almost true of the, of, the, of the young earth as well. And so when we go into Genesis 1 and 2, then we'll start talking about how people would read uh, Genesis 1-1 versus Genesis 1-2 and, and on and on, right? So the first thing here, God, they would, they would definitely have to say, God created everything, God created everything, seen and unseen, ex nihilo, out of nothing. And that's, obviously, we've, we talked about that in unity, um, in the unity piece last week. God created everything. So you, you would have to say, as an old earth um, person, you would have to say, God created everything, seen and unseen, out of nothing. On A, 1A, God literally created Adam out of dust and Eve out of his rib. There's really no way that you can separate being made in the image of God and the, that creation story from an actual historical event. Now, there, there are plenty that try. Don't get me wrong. There are plenty that try. But there's, there's just no way, even in the old earth position, that you could really separate that and still hold to what the biblical evidence suggests. B, 1B, is rejection of the central claims of Darwinism. And we'll, we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks, but 
there would, even in the old earth position, be still... So I think there's sometimes a mis, mis, either misinformation or, or a, an idea that because someone would hold to an old earth position, that they're, that they're you know, buddy-buddy with Darwin himself, and that's not true. They're not going to make any secular scientist happy just because they're an old earth believer, old earth creationist. Does that make sense? That, so, yeah, go ahead. We're getting there, <laughs> but uh, and and I'll, that's that's one of the things coming up here in just a second. Um, we're going to talk about that too, actually. Yes, in one of the rege- in one of the objections down at the very end. So we'll we'll, we'll, we'll get there. I promise. Uh, so the one C, an old Earth argument would have to include a rejection of theistic evolution. Theistic evolution is the idea that really evolution was the way in which God brought all this stuff about and that he just kind of scooted things along at the right time when they needed to or supplied the right this or supplied the right that or took away the the wrong this or that uh, in order to make sure that things progressed in the way that they should have. That's roughly, in about a paragraph, theistic evolution. And so even an old earth position is still going to have to reject theistic evolution. I think that breaks the boundaries of of the biblical text that's in front of us. Okay, to Richard's question. The age of the earth in the old earth position, typically, again, this is very broad, but typically the age of the earth is approximately 13.7 billion years old. That's what an old earth creationist would say, is that the age of the earth is currently 13.7 billion years old. Now, what I need to say about that, though, is what you kind of have to understand is what an old earth creationist is saying is they're open to the scientific evidence that's presented. And that they would say, sure, if science tomorrow says we're wrong, it's actually only one billion years old, they would go, okay, a billion like they're not, they're not necessarily making a claim on, I, hey, I found a rock the other day and I dated it myself and it's 13.7 billion years old. They're just saying when science says it's 13.7 billion years old, okay, we don't think that conflicts with the biblical record at all. Does that make sense? What they're saying, what they're not saying? Um, 2A, Adam and Eve, they would say, most of them would say, were created between 30 to 70,000 years ago. Basically, that's the age of man. Another reason, and so the, the blank there is created, um, another reason why this is not going to make any of the Darwinian evolutionists happy at all is the old earth creationists are still going to believe in a literal Adam and Eve, a, a first man and woman that fell and sinned against God by taking of the fruit of the tree. You understand that? that that's, that's what's happening there. And so they would just say, between 30 and 70,000 years ago. Uh, and then they would also say, most of them would say, to be their, their genealogical gaps in Genesis 5 and 10. Now, there's genealogical gaps in Genesis 5 and 10. Now, if you read Genesis 5, you've got, you got what? Adam was, I, I'm going to make up some numbers, but Adam was 170 years old. And he had, he had Seth, and then he lived to be 900 and whatever years old. 
And then you have that. That's the genealogical record, right? And so a, an old earth creationist typically is going to say when you read that, it would be akin to many other genealogies that we have in the rest of the Old Testament and even in the book of Matthew, where there is this person had this person, but what, who they really had was that person's grandfather or great-grandfather or great-great-grandfather, okay? That's typically what they're saying. So like Matthew says, so-and-so beget, so-and-so, so-and-so beget, so-and-so, so-and-so beget, so-and-so. And in that chain that looks like it's unbroken, you go back into Chronicles and he intentionally left out three people. And so so-and-so begat so-and-so, but he really begat his great-great-great-grandfather, right? And so uh, they would argue that that's the same thing that's happening in the genealogical record in Genesis. Now, um, all that being said, you could be an old earth creationist and not think that, and think that's an unbroken chain that he's presenting there. So it's not, that's not make or break on that point of view. Does that make sense? Okay. Because even if Moses writing Genesis 5 has a gap there, we're not talking about 13.7 billion years of a gap, right? That's That's not what we're talking about. We're not even talking about thousands of years. We're talking about a handful of generations, right? Um, so, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't think there's an old earth creationist out there that would say, that's how I get to my 13.7 billion years is that, yeah, I don't think anybody's arguing that. Um, but I think that they would see that as, as probably what's going on there. All right. Number three, the six days of creation were possibly not six literal days. The six days of creation were possibly not six literal days. Um, so we're going we're gonna to look at a few scriptures here, and I've provided, you should all have the scripture list in your packet there of all the scriptures that, we're, that I'm going to include in this packet. And here's a couple of reasons why they would say um, that they're not six literal days. The first is that the, the word for days in the Hebrew text, it can mean a singular 24-hour day, or it can mean longer periods of time. So it can mean days or, or even imply days. So let's take a look at some of these scriptures. Who wants to read Genesis 2-4? Who will take Genesis 2-4 for me? David Maxwell, Vicki Thomason, will you take Gen- Job 20-28? 20, Who will take Psalm 20 verse 1? All right, Richard, Shannon, will you take Proverbs 11-4? And who will take, uh, actually, Shannon, if you'll read all those Proverbs right there. Is that okay? They're short, I promise. Who will take Ecclesiastes 7.14? All right, and Brooks. Um, and then, well, let's stop there. You'll get the point. Genesis 2.4. All right, there, obviously, day meaning... At least seven, right? Or six. The possessions of his house will be carried away, dragged off in the day of God's wrath. Okay. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of God of Jacob protect you. Okay. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The horse is made ready for the 
All right, in all of those passages, and then and then some of the ones listed after, and the ones listed after, the word day would imply a longer period of time than simply a twenty-four hour period. Um, I, I don't think anybody needs a verse to say that it actually can mean a twenty-four hour period as well. It, it can mean that as well. Um, but but what a, a old Earth creationist would typically say is. You know, in that six-day creation account, it could mean longer than a 24-hour period of time. Then here's, here's one that's sort of a strange argument. I'll admit, when I read this argument, I thought, eh, that seems dubious at best. Uh, but, but 3B, there was a lot going on during the sixth day for it to be a 24-hour period of time. If you look at the examination of the six-day these are the th- some of the things that happen in it. There's the creation of animals and man. Uh, he, gives them, he gives man dominion. There's directions about which trees you can eat of and which, which you can't. And there's where God brings the animals in front of Adam one by one and he names them. And then there's the creating of Eve. All that happens on that sixth day. And for some in the old earth, I don't think they're hanging their hat on this, right? this argument. I think they're just saying, see, it could be a longer period of time. I mean, let's be honest. He could have named 10 animals a day, or he could have named 100 animals. Who knows? Uh, I wasn't totally convinced by that argument. <laughs> let's just say, just, you know, it's interesting. I thought I would include it because you'll hear it a lot. Uh, in, on 3C here, the seventh day does not include the repeated phrase, and there was evening and there was morning on the seventh day. Now, at first blush, you think, well, so what? But it is kind of interesting that, and, and it seems to be with intention, that the author of Genesis leaves that repeated refrain out. He includes it on every single day, and then on the seventh day, he does not include it. And the reason, that if, if he just didn't include it, and that was all we ever heard about that, I might be inclined to think, he probably just didn't think anything of it, just kept going. But the author of Hebrews seems to actually pick up on this, that it's he didn't include that at the end of it. And, he, and who wants to read there Hebrews 4, 4, 9, and 10? 4, 4, 9, and 10. Who will read that for me? Not everybody all at once. Oh. All right, Shannon Grant, or, or Lori, Lori Beams, go ahead. You haven't read yet. So it, it seems as though the author of Hebrews is saying, God rested. There was no repeating to God's week. So there was not evening and morning on the next day, and then he started again on Monday or Sunday. That doesn't seem to be the, the case there. And the author of Hebrews seems to be pointing out that what that means is that when you enter into God, you enter into his rest. That he's still on rest. He's still on, on Sabbath. He doesn't need to create anymore. Right Now Jesus comes in and, and says, my father's been working up till now in terms of saving, right? And I, I'm continuing his work as well. So he, he seems to be saying when it comes to creating a new creation that Jesus is doing in saving us, he is working. But in regards to the actual created order, he, he set it the way he wanted it and rested and doesn't need to come back into it and and change things fundamentally or start anew. 
Uh, okay. So then the last, one of the last ones here, he says on D, on 3D, this is all in the six literal days. He says, the, the days are obviously abnormal since the sun and the moon weren't created until the fourth day. And so the point that they're making there is we can't be looking at a normal one revolution of the earth because the sun and the moon aren't even in existence yet until the fourth day. And it seems as though there's a light, right? We, we don't, there's a lot of debate as to what that light is, but it's almost like God turns on his desk lamp before he creates the, it's <laughs> in the air and then he pulls up a sun, you know, I mean, whatever. But they're, they're basically saying, well, it, it can't, we can't be looking at normal days. We have to be looking at God days, God-sized days, which who knows how long those are is kind of the argument. Uh, and then the last one here, the context of the word days in Genesis 1 and 2 does not require old earth or young earth. It doesn't require old earth or young earth. But that the text is open enough to affirm whatever is true. The text is open enough to affirm whatever is true there in terms of the age. Uh, Now, so if you think about that in terms of the typical old earth position, it still has to affirm all of the things that we've said we're unified under. But they're saying in some of the words that are used in Genesis, there's, uh, there's more flexibility than, than one might think. And it doesn't necessarily contradict, you know, maybe some scientific claim that, would be, that the earth would be older. Um, and then so here's a, a couple of rebuttals to old earth, and I'm sure y'all, y'all probably know of a few more. There are tons more. Uh, but we could be here all night. Uh, so uh, one, one criticism is that old earth creationists are capitulating or basically just kind of giving up to modern scientific findings and are letting modern science interpret the Bible. That's one, I think, really common criticism of old earth creationism is, that, hey, you're just bowing down to whatever the world wants you to think and you're just sort of giving up biblical data, what's next? If science has determined that Adam and Eve weren't real people, are you going to give up on that too? And the response is varied. There's a lot of, of different responses to that. One response is that the debate over the interpretation of Genesis 1 and 2 actually precedes modern science by more than a thousand years. That people were having this debate long ago. Uh, and, and, and arguing over how we actually interpret Genesis 1 and 2. Let, let me explain a couple of things here because this can get really confusing really fast. I think all of us would like to say we interpret the Bible literally. Right? I think everybody in here, I, I would hope anyway, would say, hey, I interpret the Bible literally. The problem is with the word literal. (laughs) Which meaning of literal do you want? So let me give you an example. John the Baptist is in the river Jordan. He's baptizing and he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Does anybody expect to turn and see a lamb standing up on the hill going, "Ah." (laughs) does anybody expect that? Nobody expects that, right? Uh, 
you immediately inside the sentence, you interpret John the Baptist historically really having lifted up his hand and looked toward the hill and said, behold the Lamb of God, that he really said this, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You interpret that literally. But inside the quotation, you understand that he's speaking figuratively about the person that's standing on the hill. So I think it's more accurate to say that we as biblical scholars or biblical readers want to interpret the Bible the way the author intended it to be interpreted. That's what we're really striving to do. We want to interpret the text of Scripture the way the author intended us to interpret it. Well, historically, in Genesis 1 and 2, there have been questions as to how did the author intend us to take Genesis 1 and 2. Did did what he intend to have here is a a verbal, one-by-one, historical account. This is what happened on day one. This is what happened on day two. This is what happened on day three. Is that what he's intending? Or is it more poetry so it becomes a little bit more fluid? And so you see that all throughout Christian history with solid biblical theologians looking at the text and going, "Eh, I think he's doing this. I think it plays more this way. Or others saying, "I, I think he's really doing that. So that's really what people are questioning. And what the old earth creationist is answer, how they're answering that um, rebuttal is that, hey, you're just bowing down to scientific findings and you're just, all, all you're doing is capitulating to the culture. They're saying, look, before science ever came about or was ever really a, a, the, the kind of endeavor that it is today, there was still argument about all of this. And then the other part is uh, just because non-Christians were the ones to discover an old earth doesn't necessarily make them wrong. And what typically is used as an illustration there is the Copernican Revolution, which really kind of was as many astronomers, but, but um, essentially uh, put forth the idea that our universe is heliocentric and that everything's revolving around the sun, which was anathema in the day that everything was really revolving around the earth and what the church uh, yeah Galileo did Galileo was forced to recant yeah um, and uh, that, that position which later we found out is, is true but what a lot of people were calling back to is the scriptures like Ecclesiastes 1.5 which I'll read for you here uh, Ecclesiastes 1.5 the sun rises and goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. And there's, there's many other scriptures that similar are, are similar in the sense that it depicts the sun rising and the sun setting. And so there was a lot of people that said, we can't be revolving around the sun because the Bible says the sun rises and the sun sets. And later, once we realized, well, that is true, we go back to the text and we go, What's, it's obvious that the author of Ecclesiastes is saying, from a human perspective, the sun is rising and setting. We still speak in terms of the sun rising and setting to this very day, even though we know that we revolve around the sun and that it's really us turning in place. But there was a lot of arguments. How can you throw a ball up in the air and it come down in the same place when the earth is spinning? And uh, how does it not just spin everything out into the, the galaxies and, and things like this? And so that, that kind of interpretation of Scripture was used to force that view of science, which the scientific view later ended up proving to be actually true. And so what an older person would say is like, hey, it's not just that we're, it's not that we're just bowing down to science. 
It's that every scientist I know quotes the same date. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to say that if that's true, if that's what's true, if, the, if, if all truth was known and, and that ends up being true, I don't think it contradicts the scripture here. And so it, it's possible. But I don't know an old earth person, and, and maybe there are some, but I don't know an old earth creationist that would say, this is 100% true. And if you believe otherwise, you're a heretic. I don't, I don't know anybody that says that. There may be. I'm sure there are. All right. I'm sure there are. On the internet, you can find anybody. Uh, but, but I think most of them are saying it's possible and I think maybe probable. But all truth is not known. But I don't think the Bible contradicts it. Another rebuttal to old earth creationism is that death couldn't have happened before sin entered the world. Death couldn't have happened before sin entered the world. This is an argument. This, this has to be addressed by old earth creationists because, well, how can the earth be 13.7 billion years old and these days be who knows how long and you got some animals that are created or different days and trees and various things like this and, and well, at some point people are, are dying before Adam and Eve step foot on the earth, especially if there's billions of years in between in between them, and what the old, how they would typically respond is the text of Scripture limits the death penalty to mankind. If you read the text, it says, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. I, I should have included that there, but in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And, 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 and that's what's given to mankind is death uh, for the eating. So they would say, there's nothing in there in that biblical text that would say that an animal couldn't have died before the fall. All right. Old earth creationism. Are you ready to kill me? Burn me at stake? What's, uh, what questions? A lot to take in? Yeah? Michelle, she's like, yeah, that's a, that's a lot. Uh, not prior to Adam, no. Not prior to Adam, no. They would say that the gaps in that genealogical record in Genesis 5, now most of them would say this, that that would account for the 30,000 years, the 70,000 years that we, we see there instead of what we'll talk about in a couple weeks, the 4,000. 4, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Blake. Um, it would pertain to, well, let me, back, let me say it two different ways. It would pertain to, to everything, but with regard to animals, they would say that with the, the species, the kinds of various kinds, it could mean that he created a bird and that there was time for that bird to become not only a barn owl, but a bald eagle as well. Right, so that within the genome, I'm not a geneticist, all right, so forgive me, uh, but within the genome of a particular kind, as labeled in Genesis, would be the possibility of expanding to various kinds of species. Right, exactly, yep. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think there are, I, I think that's why it's really important to nail down what are the essentials? What are the things that like, if I'm sitting down with a, you know, friend of yours, what, what, what are the essentials that I have to say, brother, I know that you believe in Jesus or that you're saying to me that you believe in Jesus, but I don't know how you can not believe that we were made in God's image and that he formed us with intent. Um, we'll talk more about evolution and creation evolution also in the, in the coming weeks, but um, there, there's kind of the idea that there's just a... The very premise of evolution is spontaneity, that it, it needed that kind of spontaneity. And what we believe about the creation account is spontaneity is removed, that God... That God had intention, whether it was 4,000 or 6,000 years ago or whether it was 60 million years ago, he had intention when he did this. And so there's no way that I could accept something other than, other than that. So I think it's important that we say, okay, wait, what are the essentials? This would make someone a Christian or non-Christian. And then what are the things where we can maybe have disagreement on and we can talk about and maybe I can walk away just as convinced in my position before I sat down at the table, and he his. But at the same time, we can understand what we do agree on is that we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and one day we'll know. So, to me, in my mind, it really doesn't matter whether you're an old earth or a young earth that has nothing to do with my salvation. Right. <laughs> yeah. As long as you're looking at it like this through these lenses, then I would say I would agree with that. Yeah. And that, that, the thing that's the strongest evidence for that position is that it, this has never made it into the creed. In spite of the fact that it really was a question in 130, which is before the Athanasian Creed, which is before the Nicene Creed, which is before the Constantinople, which is before the Apostles' Creed, before all of those creeds ever came to fruition, this is a debate people are having. This is a discussion people are having. And yet... They never found their way into the creed going, we believe in God the Father, almighty creator of heaven and earth 6,000 years ago. And never did that happen. And, and that bears a lot of weight to me. That bears a significant amount of weight to me as to how, what, how much emphasis I should place on this. Can and, I yeah. Well, I tried to look at this, and there were some people that said he, quoting, he was open to an old earth position. But there was not a citation of anything other than what you have in front of you. So for his, for his open to an old earth position. I think, honestly, if you just held these, so one of the classic young earth creationists that is around in our culture today is Ken Ham. And uh, we'll, we'll talk more about him later, but I think if, if you were to say this to Ken Ham, he would disagree with a lot of the things on this list, that there's a possibility. And so Ken Ham would consider Francis Schaeffer open to old earth just because he held to this list. Does that make sense? So when I hear somebody say to me, Francis Schaeffer was open to old earth. 
that doesn't hold a lot of water unless I can have a quote where he says that, right? If I just have this, I'm like, he, he may also not be. He may also say, eh, young earth. You know, he may, he, may, he may go, this is possible, but I still, I think it's more likely that it's younger. Oh, and it's made me more cautious when I'm reading various books on creation. Right. That I'm not inserting confusing, conflicting old earth and new earth views to my grandchildren. Right. Is that right? If you look him up on YouTube, when his father died, he left the faith, and now oh. he's written a book called How to Be an Atheist But Believe in God. But mm. still believe in God. And he's written several books. Whew. And if you That's look him up on YouTube <laughs> and watch him, he's totally taken a dive. And mm. he says the reason he stayed in the ministry was for the money. And he rose to the top with the powerful White House, his mother's in the bushes pool, and he gives a whole gamut, and the things that come out of his mouth are just yeah. scary about how stupid you all are, wow. how brainwashed you are, wow. and, Yikes. and it's sad. Yeah. So I don't know in his father's storytelling to the yeah. kids, he stretched the truth out so much that he caused the child to begin saying, yeah, but I, I think you got to be careful about a lot of those things because it's it's pretty evident, I think, in Scripture that a person isn't um, in in entirely responsible for their child's conversion. So, a, a, you know, you can you're responsible to teach your children, you're responsible to continue to reiterate, they're, you're responsible to make sure that they know. But in the end, whether they come to Christ or not is not your responsibility. And the other way is true: whether they run away from the faith or not is also not your responsibility. I don't think we can really put that on Francis Schaeffer no, or say that, that yeah. In our interpretation, I see it myself that I'm tempted to tell the kids, well, you know, Christ changed the water and the wine in an instant. Right. So he could make the world in an instant. Right, right. And then you cause the child to wander more than to just accept by faith the things that are written in the Scripture. Right, yeah. That's right. Between naturalism and That's right. science. And, and interestingly, there's a big disagreement between naturalism and science. Yes. And, and so many of my scientist friends have a know that their philosophy is incoherent. Yes. Yes. And, and so, I mean, the issue here is not science, it's naturalism. Right. That's right. That's right. Yes, I would ditto that. Any other questions about that? All right. Well, let's pray and let's be dismissed. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful for a time to just come together and think deeply about um, the world that you created. And as we dive deeper into this and uncover more 
information and, and more thoughts and expose ourselves to more uh, um, varying perspectives. I pray that uh, through your spirit, we would still be able to come together to the table and say, regardless of the opinion or the view, that we can still be brothers and sisters in Christ. That you would continue to reaffirm to us the things that we are to be unified on. And Lord, that at the end of all of this, that what we would be able to walk away from confidently is that you are creator and redeemer. All things are sustained by you. All things are held together by you. You were before all things, and in you all things have their meaning. And so we we pray that we would be rock solid on those things and that we will be able to also come humbly to the scriptures and be willing to admit what we don't know. And um, I pray that in the process of all of that, we would be able to have good, healthy discussions about what, how we read the text and what is true and what is not. But that at the end of the day, that it would be towards the edification and the unifying of the body rather than its demise. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.